0: TSIA tracks 50 of the largest technology solution providers on the planet in an index we call the TNS 50. In Q1 of 2021, companies in that index grew their annual revenues on average about 4% from Q1 2020. TSIA also tracks 40 of the largest born in the cloud technology providers. Over the same period, those companies grew their revenues on average about 17%. Now, there's another index called the PLG, the Product-Led Growth Index. It represents companies that leverage the product itself as a key go-to-market channel. Companies like Zoom and Slack. With these offers, customers can install, try, buy, and renew all through the product itself. No sales reps required. Companies in the PLG Index have been growing at almost 30%. Twice the rate of a typical SaaS company, and almost eight times the rate of companies in the TNS 50. I'm Thomas Law, the Executive Director of the Technology and Services Industry Association. Welcome to the seventh episode of our 10 part series titled The Have and Have Nots of the Technology Industry. We are going to discuss this concept of product led growth. And for those listeners not familiar with TSIA, we are a for profit research institute. As, as just discussed, we track the financial performance of the largest publicly traded technology providers on the planet. But more importantly, we perform deep operational benchmarking with the technology companies that are on the TSIA platform. It is that data that informs the insights you will hear in this series. Today, I will be joined by Laura Fay. Laura leads our research in the area of as-a-service product management. Laura, let me ask you the same question I asked Stephen Fulkerson in the last session. What were you doing before you joined us at TSIA?
1: Hey, hey, hi, Thomas. Great to be here today and to talk about product-led growth. Well, before joining the TSIA research team, I was fortunate to have had a 30-year career in the enterprise technology industry. You know, Looking back, I realized I was a Bit of a startup junkie, uh, continuously joining early stage companies and then being acquired by more established businesses like Salesforce and, and IBM and contributing to their product strategies. I got to contribute to some industry changing innovations uh, over the years, including uh, designing the first PC networks in the 80s and the first webmail. Uh, web-based email products in the 90s. For those of you old enough to remember Lotus CC Mail, it was a, a rock star at the time. And the first B2B cloud mobile platform that was ultimately acquired by Salesforce in the early 2000s. So uh, been a great career, and I've spent most of that career uh, leading product teams. And I've led a couple of business model transformations from that leadership position as well. Plenty of uh, battle scars on, on that front. So great to be here.
0: Well, it's great to have you, and uh, we're both dating ourselves because I uh, absolutely remember all of those product examples that you just listed, so okay, I'm in good company here. So before we get too deep into this concept of product-led growth, uh, I have to comment on an article that I recently read titled Product-Led Growth, and it was on a site called, I think it was Customer Think, and in this article, the author asserted basically That there's really nothing new here, Uh, that there have been, quote, product led growth companies for decades. And then the author proceeds to list tech companies uh, that have had hot products in the past, you know, companies like DEC, Wang, Compaq, Sun Microsystems. You know, and I have to tell you, Laura, after reading the article, I came to the conclusion that the author is confusing the concept of a product led strategy with today's concept of product led growth. So, so can you start us out here by differentiating these two concepts?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, a product-led strategy basically leans on a highly differentiated product and the set of capabilities to win market share, right? So for example, what Cisco and Sun did in the late 1990s, the author is correct from that standpoint that this strategy has been around for a very long time. You know, but what we think about today when we say product-led growth is really a different concept. It's about where the product plays an active and stirring role, if you will, in the growth strategy itself. So it takes a product experience approach right, to the go-to-market strategy for low friction, a.k.a. highly digitized experience by building all of the methods of acquisition, retention, and expansion directly into the product experience. And the big difference here is also It's a big focus on the end user. And that's not a design principle that product teams at Cisco and Sun had in the late 1990s, but it is a design principle today that companies like Zoom, DocuSign, Slack, and and many others are uh, employing today.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, so this is really interesting, right? Products that sell themselves. So let's click into that. So in the TSI layer framework, we discuss the four distinct phases of customer engagement, right? First, you got to land the customer, then you got to get them to adopt your technology. And then ideally, you're going to expand their their relationship with you, and then they're going to renew with you. And and let's start with land. How do product-led growth-oriented offers land a customer without requiring sales intervention?
1: In the context of acquisition, the premise of product-led growth is that companies allow people to use a limited version of their product for free to get started. Product-led growth starts with a single end user discovering the product at the company website or perhaps on a marketplace. And as the product provides value, these users are expected to convert to paying customers as they use increasing functionality of the product. Now, the goal is to use the product itself as a marketing tool To take the user deep into realizing value ahead of a paywall or certainly ahead of a very high paywall right and there's typically two trial formats that we that are uh, out there in pursuing this PLG strategy one is a full product free for a limited time you know or we call it a free trial or a limited product features free indefinitely we'll call that freemium right and each of these scenarios can deliver what we call a product qualified lead, right, which can auto convert to a paying customer, or it can certainly help sales help close or convert that, that lead to a paying customer. But it's taken the user deeper into the experience and what the product can actually deliver in terms of value. So that's a much more highly valuable lead, uh, even when sales is involved. You know, I might call what uh, uh, the, the 90s Sun and Cisco examples as product assisted growth perhaps versus product led. They generally had marketing led growth strategy, right? And they did have certainly have free trials. They were time bound free trials, probably on-prem run by sales, How, but we know that this is a far cry, right? From the self-service and auto discovery trial that cloud software companies can take advantage of today
0: yeah i mean, I mean it's kind of uh it's interesting right so it's no longer uh, just about mqls <laughs> marking qualified leads now this concept of a pql a product qualified lead i mean I, I think that's very very interesting so so let's move past land and, and let's jump to expansion how do product-led growth-oriented products support customer expansion on their own
1: Well, this actually presents an exciting opportunity for companies of all types. You know, once a customer is using the solution, regardless of how they got there, right, they're using the solution. And the onus is on vendors to deliver immersive and frictionless user experiences that are really prescriptively designed for deeper usage, and that deliver increased value with that continual use to the point where expansion is inevitable. so that's, That's really the experience that that vendors uh, need to pursue and are pursuing. And when that value is realized, um, and most particularly when that value realization is measured by the vendors, it provides great opportunity to embed triggers for upsell and cross-sell. The simplest of upsell examples, of course, is when the license use maxes out and the user is prompted to pay for more licenses. That's the simplest scenario. You know, if sales is involved in that, perhaps the analytics can create triggers to sales to go follow up on that, uh, expansion or renewal opportunity. But you can tell that either way we have a lot of data and analytics applied to this, to this process, regardless, um, you know, and cross sales requires applying success science and an adoption framework to know which usage patterns drive the consumption of adjacent products. You know, we're used to seeing this experience in consumer products like online retail with classic suggestions of, you know, most customers who bought this also bought that. With data and analytics, this is not a difficult concept to apply to B2B products.
0: Yeah, you know, you know it's interesting, Laura, we've known forever that it's more cost-effective to sell to existing customers as opposed to the expense of landing that new. And now, if you can have the product itself carry some of that water with the existing customers. I mean, that's fantastic.
1: Yes. And and at the end of the day, you know, the only uh, differentiation, scalable differentiation you've got is to apply technology and leverage the product in that equation.
0: Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. So, so let, let's move to renewal how do product led growth oriented products approach renewal.
1: Yeah, you know, there's a big opportunity for B2B enterprise companies to get their products to play an active role in automating the renewal process. You know, once again, embedded telemetry and analytics play a big role. Look, it comes down to that continuous, tangible value realization on on an ongoing basis. And really, the only thing that matters is if the customer is realizing that outcome that was promised at the time of purchase, right? Can that promise actually be proven? That's really the big question when it comes to renewal, right? Companies' renewal operations are increasingly investing in a process called value management. Um, and we see that in you know, massive numbers, that this is really a, a big deal in the enterprise side of things. And this really involves demonstrating to the customers what the promised value was actually delivered and how much easier does that get with experience that are inherently designed with immersive experiences to engineer adoption and drive up the outcome metrics. It's automatic, there's no debate. And even better if it can be handled through an e-commerce transaction for even further scale. My colleague, Jack Johnson, who leads the renewals research practice at TSIA and I wrote about this. Um, We wrote about what it takes to design your as a service value proposition, specifically with renewability in mind. And a lot of the data uh, lines up very, very well to support a very specific set of approaches there.
0: Yeah, I mean, so, so the more that I listen to you, right, the more we talk about this, this concept, it is really powerful, right, to have the product on its own, carry the water in these various customer transactions. Um, but, but I have to believe that this approach uh, does not make sense for all products or for all customer types. What are the product or customer parameters that lend themselves to a product-led growth strategy?
1: Yeah, there's plenty of buzz around PLG or product-led growth, right? but there's some myths to bust i think and some realities to to face for for many um, there's definitely a series of attributes that can provide tailwinds to this this approach and of course there are others that really can provide some headwinds and, and things to be to be uh, to be overcome but i would say that pursuing a product like growth strategy is good when for any solution that is cloud-based, right, that is a connected-based product. I mean, that's going to provide a lot of tailwinds uh, to this approach. And I arguably, it'd be almost impossible to do without having a fully connected um, cloud-enabled solution. It certainly helps if you have a large horizontal market, uh, right, where you can really try to scale fast. Um, now, this one is critical for early stage companies where the, the mantra of grow fast or die slow in the heat of uh, intense competition um, is really a very big deal. So in that case, having these large horizontal markets make, make sense. You know, one of the things that we'll also see is that if you have a target audience that, is, that prefers self-service, that's a huge tailwind, right? So companies that are targeting developers, for example, You know, Atlassian is a great example of that, where, you know, um, I'll say stereotypic, having been one myself, I could say stereotypically, you know, prefer not to talk to salespeople if I can go online and discover something myself and figure it out. And, you know, they're problem solvers. So that's a great um, target example of a target market that naturally lends itself to a self-service type of approach. Another example, actually, I think in mature markets where customers can easily understand the value proposition of the solution. So we think of PLG and you know, early stage companies, but mature companies who don't have to prove their, out, their value proposition to the users where they kind of inherently understand that, they can integrate, have success in integrating a lot of these, um, a lot of these approaches. Um, you know, if you've got a market where customers insist on seeing and feeling the value, right? Realizing the value ahead of paying for it um, that, is, uh, that lends itself well. Um, we see some of that, for example, in the infrastructure as a service area, right? Where again, developers, self-service, right? They'll try things out and kind of go from there. Um, so I think there's a whole series of examples. And, and I think that many, many uh, companies, regardless of size, I would encourage companies to stretch themselves to really think out of the box on how they can apply these approaches. Because we know, Thomas, that the as-a-service model has a lot of inherent cost built in that is is a strain on profitability and a strain on margins. And so to the extent that many of these things can be focused and automated as much as possible while meeting the users where they're at is, uh, is a key strategy to address that. Now I will say that um, and mentioned earlier, product, product-led growth doesn't stand alone as a strategy, right? There are some additional things, like if you have a platform, if you have a viral customer experience that plays into the network effect, right? Other things like that that provide tailwinds.
0: You know, but as I, as I listen to you, because when I talk to some of our member companies, you know, their initial reaction is, well, well, look, you know, PLG, that just doesn't make sense for our products and our markets, et etc. But I think what you put on the table here is you know, there's probably more opportunity than most companies realize, and, and that they're just not leaning hard enough into it to explore, you know, where those opportunities are. So I mean, I think that's you know, I think it's good coaching because again, as other, you know, as other companies get really good at this. Right. It starts to create a, uh, you know, a critical gap in capabilities. So, so, but I, I have to tell you, there is one aspect of these product led growth companies that does perplex me and it relates to their overall cost of sales and marketing. So on on average, traditional, you know, license-based software companies used to spend about 22, 24% of total revenue on sales and marketing. Uh, Companies in the TSIA cloud 40 index spend on average about 37% of total revenues on sales and marketing. So, you know, much more, but these companies in this, this PLG index I was talking about at the opening are spending on average 49% of total revenues on sales and marketing and and, and on the surface that just doesn't make sense to me. So what's your perspective?
1: Yeah, you know, It's it's a great one, right? Because product led growth is often so much touted as, hey, lower your cost of customer acquisition. This is this is the solution, but yet as you say, the data sometimes you know suggests a different story. You know, look. First of all, high growth companies typically spend a larger percentage of their revenue on sales and marketing to drive that high growth. And as you mentioned, the folks in the PLG index are growing faster than other companies, so they're 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 paying they're paying their way for that if you will but that's kind of not the whole, the entire story if you read and i know you do we do all the time right read the 10k's of many of these many of these companies we find that they're continually spending aggressively on sales resources now why is that well if you think about it they're they're leveraging product led growth capabilities to target the low end of the market very often right And for targeting individual users within larger organizations and then within these larger organizations, which is really where the you know the revenue prize often is right beyond sort of the long tail of smaller companies. They are leveraging sales organizations to go after that business and to pursue those larger opportunities. So in many cases, there's you know, the occasional example in the early days like Atlassian, but even they have um, you know, departed from this as well, starting with acquiring users in the, in the, um, and getting viral in, with smaller organizations, but then really engaging um, a sales organization to really grow large within, uh, within those bigger companies. They still have to deal with procurement after all, right, in some of those larger opportunities. Second thing that we see here is that the budget is spent in marketing to raise awareness for these solutions that users actually need to discover and try out. So there's a lot of marketing spend that's going on. Um, it may not, it may be in you know um, search, search, organic search and paid search, etc. Um, but also marketing costs as it relates to placement in for of products in different marketplaces. Um, uh, uh, online. And that spend really comes in, in all of those forms. Um, an additional observation about the companies in that uh, index that you mentioned is that most of them are, are in that early stage, companies, early stage phase. And as I mentioned earlier, this notion of grow fast or die slow, um, you know, was really forcing them to put a lot of uh, blanket awareness building activity out there. So again, reinforcing that
0: that marketing spend. Yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting observation. And I didn't think about this, right? Because if you think about, you know, how tech companies spend their sales and marketing dollars historically, as you know, A majority of that money went to sales (laughs) and sales headcount and a minority of it went to the marketing department. And this could really be this shift right to your point where more of it is going to market for general market awareness to to get people to go try the product in in a low friction way. Um, And then you go from there. So, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see how the models mature.
1: Right. But and ultimately with companies that have aspirations to move up market, that sales engine doesn't really go away.
0: Right. Right. For the very optimized.
1: Right. But it doesn't it doesn't disappear
0: it doesn't and i think but one of the unanswered questions is how far up you know that market uh you know can you can you climb with a product-led growth strategy you know and and i my intuition has got to be, be you know beyond just individual users right you probably can get you know bigger things to happen and, and we're not done as an industry exploring that yeah
1: yeah and i think we can go from product led and maybe use the term product assisted yeah. I think that, the, again, the, the product can definitely play uh, a main role and a starting role, if you will, in the in that entire revenue acquisition yep. process. It's a question of degrees. Um, and of course, led by digitization, data, and analytics. They're really the, the ammunition in the gun, if you will.
0: If yep, that is the currency. To
1: make that happen. Yeah.
0: Yep, that is the currency. So, so let, let me ask you this when, when it comes to building a product led growth capability, where would you actually start?
1: You know, Thomas, first let me say that companies don't have to have all the characteristics mentioned earlier. You know, I think the key is to focus on the degree to which the product experience can contribute systematically to the land process, right? To engineer adoption, engineer expansion, and renewal into the experience end-to-end. So the question is, how far can you take that, right? My top recommendations on where to start for established businesses are to make the following job number one, which is identify and eliminate friction points in the user experience at every single step, right? To get a bit more specific about that, I would say personalize the first online interaction and simplify the trial signup process um, by making the trial user experience feel like a customer experience, right? And this is likely to be run by the marketing team perhaps, Um, but that's really kind of the first first step. The second thing is either in that trial process or when you onboard a customer for the first time, clarify for yourselves what's the first value moment for that prospect in the trial or the post-sale onboarding process and apply telemetry and analytics to measure that time to value. Measure and optimize it. Because you'll probably be surprised to find out that it's really long. Right? We see that in a lot of our data. Uh, it's really, really long. And then companies start to focus on how do I remove friction out of that process and get that down, uh, get that down to as small as it can be. And this, this process itself is going to force a deep mapping of the entire customer experience in all the segments and the and the application of analytics. Now. What we've seen as well is that cross-organizational squads are a great tactic to get an active contribution from across the company. So perhaps it's a combination of folks from the user experience team and the QA team and the customer success team and, and perhaps even and your sales team, but folks from across the company who come together and really focus on removing friction out of a particular workflow and then moving on to the next one and so forth. So that's really a great approach to break down silos and and make that happen. So if you can nail these and keep the focus on net retention rates, that can really kind of help get started. But there's a lot more, of course, to be done, right? And I have uh, written about this, the application, the applicability, if you will, of PLG to large complex enterprises um, and the critical practices to conquer that model. And listeners can pick up a copy of that uh, at TSIA's Member Resource Center. They're uh, interested
0: to learn more there. So, Laura, you've just given folks a great place to start. Start thinking, you know, on, on how to approach uh, product-led growth. And I know you have a lot of, you know, more content on this. So, I really do encourage our members to go out to the to the resource center and explore that. Um, and let let me shift gears on you one more time here. Um, and this is moving beyond product-led growth. And I want to talk about. Uh, platform business models. And this is one of the capabilities we talked about in this paper on the have and have nots of the technology industry. It's the capability I know that you've also been exploring. Um, describe what this is to, to our listeners.
1: Yeah, I've been exploring this a lot recently. And you know, the platform business model is, think, we think of it as an ecosystem centric approach. Right, that is focused on actively enabling and facilitating the exchange of value amongst a contributing set of partners and customers to drive growth. Now, uh, in that model, right, we have a, a potentially a very diverse ecosystem of partners that are usually empowered to develop and monetize their own intellectual property and value, while inheriting attributes of the core platform for their benefit and the benefit of customers. Now, we can think of a number of examples there which we can talk about, but ultimately the platform business model of course requires a trusted, transparent, open cloud technology platform. And you know, Thomas, it's interesting is that what we see here is that while many companies have an open technology platform, which is customer solution focused, many don't actually take the extra step to become a true platform business model. And the two things are a little bit different. So you need the technology platform to have a platform business model, but the two things are are not the same.
0: Yeah, I think this is very interesting because whenever I've put this attribute on the table, um, to a member, th- their, their immediate question is, oh, okay, I think I kind of get it, but can you provide some real world examples? So, so what are you know where, where can we see this in the wild?
1: Yeah, sure. Well, of course, the B2 C world has tons of powerful and recognizable examples like Lyft and Uber. That's you know an obvious feels like an obvious one. Um, Amazon retail, Facebook, eBay, Alibaba, the Apple App Store right, Uh, with a one-to-many scenario there, and Google, those are great sort of B2C uh, examples. Now, there's not as many in the B2B space. However, the revenue multiplier that many platform vendors are realizing make it really, really attractive model to to figure out and pursue, and a lot of folks are on that path. Um, But some really good examples here include Salesforce, for example, the infrastructure as a service folks, uh, Microsoft Azure, uh, Google, Twilio and Shopify are some other examples, uh, and those are kind of just a few. And what we see in this is that the ecosystem itself is growing at a faster rate even than the core technology. So what they've for the core platform provider, right? They've empowered the ecosystem and become an embedded part of that ecosystem. So you get that pull through effect, effect which provides that multiplier uh, on the growth trajectory. Um, And right now, I'm actually delving into and researching some of the critical practices that make for solid platform business model and what that journey uh, looks like. We have many TSIA member companies that are hungry for that guidance on how to transform their product-centric businesses into platform-centric and ecosystem-centric businesses. And you know maybe we can chat about that one at a at a future time.
0: Yeah, I, yeah, I, I think this is just just like product-led growth in general. I think this is a, an evolving topic, um, but it's evolving rapidly. And I think you know a f- f- few of the members that I've talked to that are exploring this seriously. Right, I think they're they're realizing it's a way not to be disintermediated from the marketplace to play a more strategic role than they may currently play. You know, with with, with their customers. So I, I don't think this is going away. And again, I think the other thing I would caution any of our our listeners who are, you know, B2B and we have some of these concepts that are very mature in B2C and they go, yeah, but that it's so different. You know, that just doesn't apply to us. I mean, I think that you've got to get rid of that thinking. <laughs> you've got to be saying, wait, how can I carry this forward? Because I do think these plays are coming to the B2B world. I don't think there's any doubt about it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's no question. And we see it in the level of investment that's going into all the enabling technologies uh, across across the industry, right, into connected cloud platforms, into API-enabled um, platforms where the ecosystem now can play in, in a bigger way. And I think ultimately, uh, companies are going to end up in a place, I predict, that you're either, you know, the provider of the of the platform or you're Participating in somebody else's ecosystem.
0: Yep, absolutely. Maybe
1: you're doing a bit of both, but yeah. if you're only participating in some somebody else's ecosystem, um, you may have missed an opportunity to uh, be make yourself central to to the fabric of what you're trying to grow.
0: Well, as they say, who owns the rails? That starts becomes the the question. Who owns the rails? <laughs> so you want to you want to own the rails if possible. So so you know we took a really good dive here on, on this topic today a good click into the concepts of both product-led growth and the platform business models. And so thank you, Laura, so much for the, for the conversation. Um, that's the last of the seven attributes that that we had in the paper that about accelerating the growth of the haves in the technology industry. And so uh, as, as folks know now, we'd like to end with the big question of the day. So I, I think if you're out there, you, know, you want to ask yourself what happens if your customer has the ability to try and buy a competitor's product with a click of a mouse. So thanks again for joining us. I look forward to our next episode. We're not done yet. I'm gonna bring back Steve Frost and we're gonna discuss the role of sales in as a service transformation. Cheers.